What's up, boys and girls? Michael Chandler here. Our first episode of Walk on Wisdom. I have reached out to my fans, my followers, my supporters, you guys. I love bringing value to you guys. Um, so I'd love to just field some questions, answer them as I see fit, and see where it takes us. Connor, hit me with the first question. All right, question one. Who was your hardest opponent to train for in the UFC? Great question. Hardest opponent. All right. I would answer this by saying he was not my toughest opponent, but the hardest opponent opponent to train for was Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, if you look at his body of work, if you look at the way that he fights, if you look at how unorthodox he is, throwing strikes from weird angles, um, doing interesting things inside of the octagon, reaching down, throwing up fake sand, um, these different things that he would do intentionally or unintentionally. I do think Tony Ferguson had a very unorthodox style. Um, he used his long range, long bodies, 5'11", maybe six foot, um, very talented guy, but also very unorthodox guy. So there was nobody in training, nobody at my gym down in Florida that I could train with that would be able to emulate Tony Ferguson. Yeah. I had some guys roll underneath me, do some MNRA rolls. I had some guys switching stances, a little bit longer, taller guys that I could train with. But as far as actually that octagon door closing and looking across the cage in front of millions of onlookers against a guy that you know, A, can't be tamed, B, cannot be really pushed into a corner because the more you push him into a corner, the more pressure that you put on him, the more you hurt him. If you do not separate him from him from consciousness, he actually gets stronger as the fight progresses. So, um, luckily for me, I was able to knock him out in the second round, hence, you know, separating him from consciousness. But there's no doubt that when you're fighting Tony Ferguson, you're in for a 15 minute war bell to bell. Um, and there was really no way to actually prepare for him. As I said, he was not my toughest opponent in the UFC, but he was the toughest to prepare for absolutely hands down the scariest fight that I had going into the, any fight in the UFC. All right. Next question. Wing KC asks, how do you, how do you have strong joints to perform explosive movements? I think that's a really great question. So I think, I think there's a misconception when you watch some of my videos that I put out there and you see me doing explosive stuff, you see me jumping side to side, up and down. You see me jumping with weight on my back. You see me slamming something, then jumping, um, or you see me doing strength plus speed equals power, doing a strength movement with a heavy weight, then doing a speed movement in that kind of same uh, same muscle patterns, muscle movement, uh, and then to create the power. I think my joints, you got to remember too, I've been lifting weights and competing at a high level hand-to-hand -hand combat since I was 14 years old. Do I believe that I have some genetic gifts? Absolutely. Do I believe that I was set apart, um, that my body, the way it was designed, the way that it was given to me, I had a nice, strong foundation to build from. But I do believe that my joints are as strong as they are because of all the strength and conditioning that I've done over the last 22 years. So I'm 36 years old now. I started when I was 14 years old and been competing at a high level since then. So I do believe that I've bulletproofed my body in so many different cases. Do I get injuries here and there? Do I get sore? Do I, do I ache in pain every now and then? Yes, I do. Do I put, but I do put a, a large amount of emphasis on recovery 
Am I supplementing right? Am I getting body work every week? Am I using different apparatuses, hyperbaric chamber, red light therapy, cold plunge, sauna uh, on my roller every day, obviously, to make sure that I somewhat turn back the hands of time as much as I possibly can? Yes, I engage in all those things. But I do believe that strength and conditioning, lifting weights, external loads, heavier weights, maybe a little bit heavier than a lot of people would be comfortable with for so many different years or so for a such a long pro prolonged period of time has bulletproofed my joints in a way that I just don't think any other modality would have. I do believe that strength training through lifting weights, um, mixing in cardio and dynamic explosive movements while also lifting weights and inside of my sessions where one, maybe one circuit is very heavy and we're lifting heavy. The next circuit is all explosive and the coupling of those two together to make one large workout has put my body in a, in so many different scenarios where it has to continue to adapt and continue to evolve since I was 14 years old. So it's a great question. And I would say, to you who asked the question, instead of being worried that your joints aren't going to hold up, start with a foundation of starting to lift weights, starting to do a little bit of explosiveness, a little bit of dynamic movement, and then just incrementally build upon the foundation that you've created. I wasn't able to do the backflips I'm able to do now when I first tried my first backflip. I've gotten better at them. I'm not... not as explosive. I'm more explosive now than I was five years ago because I've trained that way. If you want to be explosive, train explosive. If you want to be strong, train strength. If you want to be a better athlete, train both of them in congruency, specifically programmed to be able to increase power, strength, speed, mobility. So lift weights, you'll live a longer, happier, more prosperous life. All right. Brandon Combs asks, what time of day do you work out? Do you find morning workouts to be beneficial? Good question. So I've never been a, I mean, I guess in college we woke up early cause we had to do 6am practice before everyone had their first, um, class at eight or 9am. And then we would work out at three 30. I can tell you this right now, our main training team practices right now are at 10am and they have been since I started MMA. Maybe it's because we're all just focusing on fighting. We can do 10 a.m. workouts. But for me, that 9, 10, 11 o'clock range in the morning is about the best that I will feel throughout the day. Because even during training camp, I wake up at 7. I got about two hours to myself to drink coffee, do my morning routine, read, pray, visualize, hang out, get my body woken up and ready for that 10 a.m. workout, go hard from 10 to 12. Usually I have something in between, work on some things, talk to my family, or just veg out, hang out, do nothing to recover for a 5 or 6 p.m. practice. But I always feel better at that 10 a.m. practice than I do the 5 or 6 p.m. Now, I don't say that to give you, to put anything in your head that, okay, if you can't work out in the morning, you can only work out in the evening, then that's going to negatively affect you. Maybe your body and your circadian rhythm and the way that your body um, handles the workouts, the workload, and also the other stressors that you have on your life. I don't know what your job, your job title is, what your profession is, how much stress you have in your life. Do you have a wife? Do you have kids? Do you have all these different things that, that pull you away from your fitness goals? Um, I've said it before. I don't think we get old. I think we get lazy and we get busy. The older we get, the more 
responsibilities we have. I have a lot more responsibilities now with a wife, two kids, multiple businesses and stuff going on outside of just my fight career than I did at 22 years old when I first started fighting and fighting was the only thing that I did. And it was just me focused on just me and my career. Um, so really looking at the week, planning it out, when can you get those workouts in? But for me, I like that 10 AM mark. Um, I'd love to be able to say I'm, you know, Jocko Willink and I wake up at 3.30 every morning and in the gym by 4 a.m. and all that kind of stuff. But that's not me. That's not how my my life has been. But check in with me in a couple of years when I'm done fighting and I have retired. And who knows, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a 5 a.m. guy uh, before the kids wake up and all that. Um, but for now, it's 10 a.m. All right. Brock Shaw asks, who are some other athletes that inspire you? Good question. Um other athletes that inspire me, um, in mixed martial arts, I'll start with mixed martial arts because that's, I've been around so many of the fighters, so many, so many of the best fighters in the entire world, even before I was in the UFC, when I'd be, when I was in Bellator and I had friends that were in the UFC, um, training with other guys around the world and around the country, Frankie Edgar, um, who just had his last fight at Madison Square Garden on November 12th, last time I competed. Um, Frankie Edgar was one of my favorite fighters, both the way that he fought, the tenacity that he fought with, but then also getting to spend a couple weeks with him. I think I did two different training trips with Frankie, both out in Tom's River, New Jersey. And uh, to see the way he lived his life, to see the passion that he had in the training sessions, and then, and then it also translate into his fight performances, the way he had an awesome relationship with his, his coach, Mark Henry. Um, he is definitely, I think the guy that I look at from the guys that I know, I don't know some of the other guys I'll, I will mention, but I know Frankie Edgar, a friend of mine, and I loved the way that he competed and the way that he lived his life. George St. Pierre is definitely in my top three. I don't know George, never met him. I don't think I've ever met him. Um, so I've never gotten to spend time with him, but the way that he carried himself as a champion, both in and out of the octagon me watching from afar as a fan, definitely, um, George St. Pierre. And there's a guy that I train with right now. He's never been a UFC champion. He's up there in the top upper echelon of his weight class right now. Currently Gilbert Burns, um, the way that he carries himself, the way he's a leader on our team, you know, it's almost, uh, it's almost a little bit unfair because I get to spend so much time with him that, uh, that of course he's in my top, but Gilbert Burns, just the championship lifestyle that he lives, the way he loves his wife and his boys, um, the way that he carries himself, the way that he fights, you guys have seen the way he is, he fights. Um, so those are, those would be my three that I would mention in mixed martial arts outside of mixed martial arts. Um, I like, I like watching football, American football. I like watching American football. And, uh, some of these younger guys who have come in these last couple of years, Josh Allen, uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, you know, it's kind of cool to see, you know, when I grew, when I was growing up, it was the Peyton Mannings and obviously Tom Brady is still, still playing. So you got to, you got to throw Tom Brady in there, of course. But, um, some of these younger guys that are coming in and, uh, they're in their first couple years as uh they're in their first couple of years in the nfl trevor lawrence had just watched him the jacksonville jaguars um beat the baltimore ravens yesterday so it's it's cool to see these young guys coming in because i'm now 10 years older than most of these guys um 
and just seeing the huge stage that they get to be put on and then see how that, that how they handle um, the pressures that come along with being the NFL. All right. Mako Myers asks, do you have a morning or bedtime routine and what is a normal day of eating for you? Good, good question. Um, so my morning routine changes often. And also I live, I basically live two lives. You know, I live one life inside of training camp down in Florida where I'm basically by myself 98% of the time. And then now being home in Nashville where I get the blessing of being around my wife and my two boys. And I'm also brain shut off a little bit of just being focused on the task at hand, which is trying to win a world title and win, win my next fight. Um, so my morning routine, when I'm in training camp, first thing I do, obviously I wake up, try to get in a routine where I'm not snoozing my alarm or waking up right as my alarm is going off or right before my alarm goes off. Um, I sleep with an eight sleep bed, which is, uh, a cooling mattress that pumps cold water throughout my mattress topper and keeps me nice and cold because I'm a hot sleeper. I like to set the vibration that it has like a little, little alarm that'll go off at 658 and start vibrating. Um, just a soft, gentle vibration that'll kind of wake me up right before my seven o'clock alarm goes off. Because if I can beat that seven o'clock alarm, it just feels better. There's just something about waking up before your alarm or before that phone tells you it's time to wake up. And I take control of my day instead of my phone or my alarm taking control of the day, forcing me into the day. Um, and then lay, lay in my bed a little bit, move, move around a little bit. Don't jump out of bed right away necessarily, but give myself an, a, a minute or two of thankfulness, gratitude, thanking God for another day. Um, that he woke me up this morning and that I get another opportunity to do something great today. And then, uh, next thing is coffee. I do, I do not eat breakfast. I do a little bit of coconut oil and a non-dairy creamer in a nice big old cup of coffee, if not two or three cups of coffee before 10 AM practice. And then I read a devotional, um, spend a little bit of quiet time, think about the day. What do I have throughout the day? Looking at the day before the day, springs up on me, if you will. So I will know in my calendar, whether it's in my phone or what I've written down the day before of knowing what am I doing between practices? Do I have any calls? Do I have any meetings? Do I have any, any things that I have to do? Um, and then bedtime routine. I don't really have one aside from the fact that I just try to, uh, I try to get to bed around the same time every night. And then, um, as far as eating goes, as I touched on before. I don't eat breakfast, but I do get a little bit of calories in my coffee. So I get fat with the coconut oil and non-dairy creamer. And then I'll eat my first meal, which is just protein and vegetables around 12, one o'clock, maybe a snack around three or four o'clock before my evening practice workout five, six. Um, and then my dinner around eight, eight thirty. Um, and that's what a normal day of eating looks like uh, inside of camp, outside of camp, similar morning routine. If I can get a couple, a uh, couple minutes before my, my boys wake up, uh, is always nice. Try to walk outside, take the dog out for a, for a poop and pee and get a little bit of sun on my face, which is good. And then, uh, get the day going and see what I have for the rest of the day. All right. Hawkins Boyer wants to know what's up with fighters living in Nashville. Uh, well, Nashville is the greatest city on the planet. 
Um, I moved here about five years ago and I do own a gym here. Um, myself, Taylor Hood, Ben Grove, we own a gym called Nashville MMA training camp. I started, I started training camp three, four years ago at this point. And then myself and Nashville MMA, which is the longest standing MMA gym here in town, we merged together. Um, so we have now been on that joint venture for the last two and a half years or so. And we have a 20,000 square foot facility here in Nashville. There are more fighters moving here to Nashville. Some that I train with, um, we are continuing to build a, continuing to build a nice foundation of guys and gals who are going to be able to compete at a high level in the years to come. We got great coaches. Dorian Price is our, our main head coach. Um, a ton of jujitsu black belts, um, from around this city that come in and train with us on, on Saturdays on our open mats, or they teach at our, at our gym as well. So I think there will be more and more people moving here. Um, you know, unfortunately by the time It'll probably be by the time I retire, actually, in the next couple of years. Uh, so I don't think I'll ever necessarily be doing a training camp here for the rest of my career. Um, but never say never. I might just start flying guys in so I can sleep in my own bed. All right. Uh, so Paul Britt wants to know, he says, you're 80% carnivore. What does the other 20% of your diet consist of? It's a good question. So I think uh, I've talked about carnivore. I talked about it on the busting with the boys podcast a little bit. Um, cause me and Taylor were talking about it and, uh, I, my body just does really well when I'm mainly consuming meat and fats, high protein, high fat diet, very little carbs. Um, you know, I love my cram PB and J's. Um, that's obviously got sprouted organic fermented bread. So I do have, it's a whole wheat. So I do have a little bit of bread there. Um, but for the most part, when I'm really, if I really am training for something, I'm eating very little starchy carbs, no pastas, no breads, no rice, um, very little sweet potato here and there because it's got a low glycemic index. And, uh, every now and then I do feel like I've gotten a little bit overtrained and undernourished. So I need a little bit of carbs to pick me up. But for the most part, I switch my body from burning carbs to burning fats. And that's where I like to be. Um, so what the other 20% looks like is healthy carbs, like obviously a lot of vegetables. Um, if I'm really trying to get some carbs in some potatoes, if I'm trying to get some carbs in, but I really don't, eat the rices, the pastas and the breads like a lot of people do. And I did, I did go on record talking about the food pyramid being needing to be flipped upside down. I don't think that human beings were created to consume the amount of carbohydrates, uh, especially processed and refined carbohydrates like our current food system has in it. Um, and it is tough. You know, I was talking to my buddy, Taylor Lewan, um, actually on that podcast, the Bustin' with the Boys podcast, he, start, he we started talking about carnivore. He went carnivore for like two weeks. And after the first couple of days, he's like, yo, bro, I am angry. I am irritable. I am this, I am that. I need some carbs. I'm like, yeah, you probably do need some carbs because your body is craving those carbs because anything that you, anything that you've continued to give your body, it wants. But you'd be very surprised if you cut out those carbs and you can get past those cravings, you can get get past the the hangryness, if you will, um, then your body will start to adapt, evolve, and adjust um, to the diet that you give it, especially if it's high protein and high fat. Um, so I just feel better when I'm not eating a lot of carbs. And 
I do think the the more control you can have over your blood sugar, which obviously you eat the carbs, your blood sugar spikes. Um, that's why we have so many people who have so many ailments derived directly from their diet. And um, if you can eat mainly protein, mainly fats and whole foods, things that are not coming out of a package that you have to rip open and crank, crack open, um, you're going to be better off in the long run. All right. Devin Porter wants to know what separates walk on fitness from other programs. Come on, Devin. Um, I think, I mean, we are not reinventing the wheel here. I'm not going to sit here and say that walk on fitness is some, some revolutionary idea that we are separating ourselves from the pack because I have some kind of proprietary information that is going to change your life more than these other fitness apps. But what I do have is a know-how a track record, a resume that speaks for itself. 22 years of experience of pushing my body and trying to get the best out of my body that I possibly can through diet, nutrition, physical programs, uh, as well as mindset. I was a small guy from a small town who was taught to do small things and over 22 years of peeling back the layers of who I am now, who I wanted to be, who I wished I wasn't and how I wanted to become better has put me in a position where I want to be able to create something, create a community, create a mastermind, create a, a, a family of people who all have one goal in mind. we all have a birth date and we all have a expiration date when we leave this earth and we have to go meet our maker. And I believe that without a plan, the people will perish. And we created these fitness programs. We created these diets that we will continue to add more diets to it. Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to gain muscle? Do you want to add mass? Do you want to maintain? Um, do you have any dietary restrictions? We're going to keep on continuing to add more and more content to walkonfit.com and for our Walk On Fitness members, as well as the mindset. This microphone right here that we can talk to our members that I can talk to you guys. You guys can talk to me. You guys can tweak what we're, what we've created with walk on fit, uh, and walk on fitness. And I just believe that over the last 22 years, I've been there. I've done that. I've made some mistakes and I want to pass those. I want to pass that wisdom on to you guys and continuing to create high level, but also basic, um, programs for all fitness levels. Our body weight program, anybody can do those. Our six-week train like an athlete explosive training, that's going to be a little bit more advanced. Our upper body, lower body program, those can be done by anybody. Just move the weights around, drop the weights a little bit, modify a couple uh, of the movements, and anybody can do them. So I just know that I've been looked at like more than a fighter, not just a guy who goes in there and fights in a cage, but I've been, I've looked at, been looked at as a fitness enthusiast, 50% and 50% mixed martial artists and the intersection between the two, add a little bit of wisdom, add a little bit of diet, nutrition, and mindset. And I think walk on fitness is going to change a lot of, a lot of lives. And I am so thankful for our current members that we have. And I think to the moon, um, is where our potential is. And I can't wait to, to watch it all unfold. All right. Hunter Chapman says, love you, Mike. Any advice for high school wrestlers wanting to compete in college? Hunter, my man, dude. Yes. Yeah, so wrestling is by far the greatest sport on the planet. Wrestling is by far the one thing that I can trace 
every single that I have, every single thing that I have, every single thing that I get to enjoy in life, uh, every single thing that I've learned can all be traced back to the sport of wrestling. So when Hunter asks, what can a high school wrestler do right now to, to get himself to the next level if they want to wrestle in college? Well, number one, I think wrestling in college, wrestling in general, but more specifically those five years that I spent at Mizzou, in the years that I was learning how to become an adult, how to become a man, who I was, who I didn't want to be, um, those four walls of the Hearn Center wrestling room, the hours that I put in, the sweat that I put in, the pain that I went through, the ups and downs of it all taught me exactly who I was at the exact moment and was continuing to peel back the layers of who I wanted to become. And then also adding layers of armor for future endeavors that I was going to have. So there's no doubt that the success that I've had in mixed martial arts can be traced back to the battles that I had previously at the Mizzou arena or at the Mizzou Hearn Center in the Mizzou wrestling room, those, those battles that I had. So the biggest thing, the biggest thing, but the biggest difference between high school wrestling and college wrestling is just the physicality of it. It's all physical. It's all hand-to-hand combat. But that college wrestling room and that those college wrestling matches has become so much more physical. Um, mainly because, you know, some of these guys are seniors, they're 22 years old. You're wrestling, they're you're 17 or 18. You haven't quite blossomed yet into that 22-year-old that they are. Um, and then you got to have good coaches and good training partners around you. The biggest thing, the biggest thing that hinders people, I think, in high school wrestling is that they continue to just go with the in crowd. They continue to to surround themselves with the guys who just wrestle a couple months a year and then maybe they play football or maybe they party a little bit. Maybe they're chasing girls. I didn't have any of that and I lost a lot of friends over the summertime because I would be in the wrestling room four or five days a week at my wrestling club with guys from other schools who had the same goals as I was. I was the first guy who wrestled all summer at Northwest High School. And now we have a bunch of people who do that because they realize if you want to be good at something, you have to do it 365 days a year. Now I'm a big proponent of three sport athletes, two sport athletes. If you want to play football in the want to play football in the fall um, and then go into wrestling and then play baseball in the summertime. I'm completely okay with that. But if you really want to be a wrestler, make sure you're doing it year round. Make sure you don't let the, make sure you don't let the expectations or the limitations of the other people around you hinder you from going out and finding the best people in your community that you can go wrestle with. If it's a wrestling club at a rival high school, go there. Don't worry about you wrestling them. Don't worry about you wrestling them during the season. Go there, get beat up or win, but just make sure you're in the wrestling room. Um, if you got the guys that you hang out with that are not having the same goals as you, make sure that you limit your time with them and make sure you don't stray away from your goals because just because they want to go to a party or they want to go, uh, have fun over the summertime when you could be going and wrestling three, four days a week, anything that you want to do requires so much more dedication than you actually think it does. Um, and you will never, ever look back and wish that you didn't work as hard as you did. I've never once looked back and thought to myself, man, I wish I didn't waste so much time focusing on wrestling and focusing on training hard and being disciplined. It always works out. Even if you don't reach your goals, it always, it always ends up better than 
the receipt of regret of looking back saying, I wish I would have worked harder. I wish I wouldn't have hung out with him. Wish I wouldn't have hung out with her. Wish I wasn't so focused on that. I'm so happy that I was so focused on the task at hand. And then whenever the offers start coming in, choose the best college that you possibly can. I had very few offers and uh, walked on to the University of Missouri and it was the best decision I ever made. All right. Bailey Bolter is wondering. I love Bailey. Shout out Bailey. What was the turning point in obtaining the self-confidence that you appear to have? So Bailey and I are friends. He is a, uh, he is a police officer. Um, so we have talked uh, numerous times. Uh, repeat the question. What was the turning point in obtaining the self-confidence that you appear to have? Oh, that I appear to have. That's what I love because I do think, and, and I'm not, I'm not making a joke about it, but it, it is awesome that, you know, people, people will say, what is the turning point of, of gaining the self-confidence that you appear to have? And it is true. I mean, today I might have a lot of confidence tomorrow. I might have a lot less. Um, the next day it might be back up to the moon again. Um, the hardest, the hardest part about life is having the patience of realizing that you are a constant work in progress. You will continue to fail and you, and you just need to continue to fail forward, uh, at any given moment. I struggle with self-doubt so much my entire life. Uh, and I still, to this day, um, have areas of my life that I really need to get in check when it comes to the confidence to succeed, the constant, the confidence to be set apart and the confidence to truly squeeze every ounce of happiness, joy, contentment, peace, and faith, uh, out of this life that we have. I think who you surround yourself with is one of the biggest catalysts to seeing yourself in a positive light. Uh, one of my favorite, very cliche quotes is you can't soar with the eagles if you're pecking around with the chickens. And it is true. If the chickens are down there pecking around on the ground, how are you ever going to be able to look up and soar with the eagles? Um, I had a lot of chickens in my life. Don't have that many chickens in my life anymore. And I'm not upset about it. Um, different, different relationships in your life will run their course and you'll continue to hopefully level up and level up and level up your relationship capital of the people that you spend the most amount of time with or the people that you will give your time. Maybe I don't spend a ton of time with all the people that I look up to, but we're text messaging or we're talking on the phone or we are talking on social media and my circle of people has continued to get smaller and smaller and smaller because truthfully, if your goals don't align with mine, if your moral compass doesn't align, doesn't align with mine, if you're not trying to do something really, really great with this life that you've been given, and it is, it is given to you, it is a gift. And if you don't look at it as such, you are, you are downplaying the blessing that you have. Um, if you're not one of those people that is trying to better your life, then I don't really have a ton of time to spend with you. Um, so I think who you surround yourself with is a huge catalyst to you having a positive self-image. And then I think at some point you make the transition from my identity is not tied to the results that I have as long as I know that I did every single thing that I possibly could to be successful. When I lose a fight, if I know I did everything that I possibly could to win that fight leading up to it, maybe I had some mistakes in the cage. Maybe I wished I would have done something different in my game plan. 
But it turns out I took an L, you know, my last fight. I can be content with that because I know I put in the work necessary to be successful. I put myself in the best situation possible. And then once you realize that A, I need to surround myself with better people, B, my self-image is not result reliant. They are not relied upon the results because you know with every loss that you take, every setback that you have, every time that you stumble, you're just one step closer to getting to the realm of the man or woman that you want to become. Um, Then every day studying things that you know will get your mind set to where you need to be, whether it be studying other people, reading, uh, writing, journaling, goal casting, visualizing, filling your mind up with positive things and not just positive in the, you know, Hey, I want a million dollars. So maybe a million, maybe I'll make a million dollars eventually. I mean, what does the most positive, happy, joyful, peaceful, content Michael look like? What does he look like? What is his facial expressions? What is the areas of his life? What does his finances look like? What does his home life look like? What does his friend relationships look like? What does his business relationships look like? And when you can see all of those things, you put them on paper and you write them down and then you visualize them and you can see that man that you want to become, then you can step forward into that character of the story that is being written about your life. So it's a it's a constant roadmap that will take detours at times and it'll go up and it'll go down and it'll go left and it'll go right. But realizing that there's a, you're a constant work in progress and don't give people your time unless they are edifying you, unless they are building you up and pouring into your life. All right. Hayden Sprinkle wants to know, will the walk on fitness app come out with new content as time goes on? Yes, Walk On Fitness will continue. We are actually we've already formulated a couple more programs that we're going to continue to release, um, and then more and more mindset content, more and more nutrition content. Um, then we're also going to continue to. I've already reached out to numerous people and have some people on, um, kind of on deck that I want to bring in contributors. There's going to be different experts that I have access to. Um, whether we sit down and we do a, a face-to-face podcast or a, um, I ask them 25 specific questions about me, my nutrition, my diet, my, my, me as an athlete and how I can perform better. Um, plus, um, more contributors who have written, uh, papers, written research papers, uh, that we can just continue to make walk on fitness an area that is a one-stop shop for us to be able to create value and bring about a bunch of different content. And of course, you know, I'm going to be coming out with a ton of different programs. Um, right now, body weight, upper body, lower body, six week train, like an athlete program are all are kind of our four first flagship programs. Then we're going to go shoulders, abs, glutes. I mean, essentially every single area, um, of the body that we want to build. And then there's going to be an upper body 2.0 lower body 2.0 and just continue to come out with a ton of different uh, programs that not only serve the people, but serve the purpose of giving people a level one, level two, level three advanced, advanced uh, progression where you can start with the body weight, work your way up to level two, level three, level four. And we have tons and tons of ideas and I have tons and tons of connections uh, that of people that can bring value to you guys. Um, so I'm very, very thankful for the current subscribers that we already have. And I just believe it's going to continue to grow like crazy. 
All right. Antonio Sweatness is looking for advice for when you feel stuck and making a pivot to reach new levels of success. Good question. Antonio wants to know what, what do you do when you feel stuck and you want, and you want to make a pivot? So it depends on, this is a hard question because I hear people answer a question similar to this and, and people will say, well, Hey, you know, don't have a plan B keep going full force towards what you, toward what you want. Um, obviously different circumstances in life are going to be thrown at you and maybe you know, you can hear Gary V talk about, Hey, stay focused on your, your day job, but have your side hustle that eventually turns into your main thing that you want to do. Um, very similar to me. I have, I have one, I have one job right now that will pay the bills big time that will help me invest in my future that will take care of my family. It's called mixed martial arts, but I'm currently continuing to stand up, uh, different businesses, work on different content, continue to build my brand outside of just the UFC, outside of just mixed martial arts, outside of just my one Avenue that I will have. But, um, when you feel stuck, the biggest, the biggest problem that you may have, the biggest enemy may be the inner me. So the biggest enemy may be the inner me. So either you might be doing something that you actually, that actually doesn't fuel your passion. It doesn't make you happy, or it is something that makes you feel happy. And it is something that you want to be better at. And it is something that you want to make a life with, but you haven't matured enough or been built up enough or gotten to the level of self-image and self-esteem that you need to get to in order to take that current endeavor to the next level. I've been in that point a couple times in my career where I knew mixed martial arts is what I wanted to do, but I needed to build up the inner inner me and my self-image and my self-concept in order to get my mixed martial arts game, my MMA game to the next level, because a man or a woman will never be able to consistently perform it in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that he or she sees themselves. So maybe you're in an endeavor right now, or you're in a, a, a job or a vocation that you love and you know, it's what you want to do, but you feel stuck because you haven't quite matured enough yet. Or maybe you haven't taken it on the chin enough yet. Maybe you haven't failed enough yet. Maybe you haven't gone through enough setbacks in order to turn you into the man or the woman that you need to become in order to be successful in that current endeavor. Now, if you're not in a, if you're not happy with the current endeavor that you're that you're choosing to go down that path, um, and you know that you want to be doing something else. Continue to continue to set things up and, and program things in a way where the one thing that pays the bills, maybe it's not what you want to do forever, but you can spend eight hours a day on that because that's what your boss is going to make you do. And that's what, it, that's what you need to do to be a good human being. I don't think I, the problem with today's society is we think, well, I got this nine to five job, but I don't really want to be doing it. So I'm actually going to slack off at work. And I'm going to, while I'm at work and I'm on the, the, when I, and I'm on the boss's time clock, I'm going to spend two hours a day while they're paying me to do job A. And I'm going to focus on my side hustle job B that makes you not a great employee, which will in turn intrinsically slow down your chances of success in the thing that you want to do. Jim Rohn, one of the greatest uh, motivational speakers of all time, all time, started Herbalife. He said this really funny quote, and it was years ago, way before minimum wage is now 
10, 11, $15 or whatever it is. He said, they'll pay you $4 to work at McDonald's, but they'll pay you four and a quarter to take the trash out with a smile on your face. They'll pay you $4 to work at McDonald's, but they'll pay you four and a quarter to take the trash out with a smile on your face. What he is saying is being a good employee, you're always going to get paid 25 cents more than the employee who doesn't take the trash out with a smile on his face. Now, it sounds trivial. It sounds tiny. It's only a quarter. And obviously, uh, minimum wage back then or what, what McDonald's workers were making back then was very small. But either way, I think the, the general thought behind it was show up to your job with a good attitude. Do what, do what is not just what is asked of you, but do more than what is asked of you. And then you will eventually be promoted to a position of leadership in your organization or be taken care of so well that you start to have more time to think about and open your mind up to the thing that you're truly passionate about. I truly believe right now, the reason that I've had such success in my career is I've always been a great employee first. I never once bad, bad mouthed my promotion when I was a Bellator or the UFC now. I've been a good employee. I've said yes when others said no. I showed up and didn't just do what was asked of me. I did more than what was asked of me. Then and only then did more money, more opportunity, more platform, and more willingness from my employer to give me more opportunities to make more money to then become more promoted. Then I have more disposable time and income and abilities to work on things outside of just mixed martial arts. Becoming a good employee, no matter what, even if you feel stuck in your current job, it's always the best and it's always the best practice and easiest path to success by being a good employee in your current endeavor. So I don't know if that completely answers the question, but there's a lot of really good nuggets in there. No matter you feel stuck and you're you're doing something that you don't like and you want to be doing something else, still continue to focus on putting your best foot forward in the endeavor that you're in because you're in that endeavor for a reason. And maybe it's a season of growth for you. Maybe it's a season that you need to be stuck in. So you always think about, well, I'm stuck right now, so I need to change something. No, maybe maybe right now is the time that you need to practice patience and be stuck so then you can become the man or woman that you will eventually become. So maybe stuck isn't a bad thing. Hit me, Connor. All right. Uh, this might be a good one to end on. Uh, Parker. All right. We're ending on this one, Parker. You the man. Parker Locascio says, you must have an immense sense of pride. How do you not, how do you not let that pride feed into your ego? Good question. So you must have an immense sense of pride, but how do you make that pride, make sure that pride doesn't, increase your ego or, or eat into your ego and become what most people dislike. And, and truly, how do I become the man? How do I make sure I don't become the man that I always af was afraid that I would become? And that is an egotistical, better than everybody maniac that a lot of people didn't want to be around. Um, you guys know, I love quotes. Um, but I forget who actually gets credit for it, but the Nelson Mandela quote or the Marianne Williamson quote where they talk about um, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond belief. It's our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. Um, and I think that that is that was very true in my life. I was, I somewhat self-sabotaged self myself because the idea of me gaining too much success 
meant that maybe I would enter the realm where people would feel uncomfortable around me because I, I grew up around a lot of people who, who didn't exactly have the highest view of themselves, or that maybe, Hey, if you go outside those county lines and you create this ridiculous life for yourself and you drive the nice cars and you have millions of dollars in your bank account, or you have this, you have that, then maybe that meant you were a bad person. Or maybe that meant that you thought that the, that you, maybe that meant that you thought that you were better than other people. So I was so afraid of creating that kind of life that I would always dummy myself down or self-sabotage myself down to a certain level of comfortable success, but not crazy success. And I think still to this day, I struggle with that. Um, The other part of the quote is there is nothing enlightened about, there is nothing enlightened about dulling your own, own light so that other people don't feel insecure around you. And it is true. There is nothing enlightened about making sure that you look at yourself as less than, or you create a life of less than to make sure that other people don't feel insecure around you. Because I know what it's like to feel insecure around somebody who is wildly confident, who is wildly successful, who is wildly happy and joyful and full of faith and full of prosperity. So sometimes we see that and we think, well, I don't want that because that wells up something inside of me that makes me feel uncomfortable with that amount of success. And as I've grown and as I've gotten older and as I have continued to to gain more and more success, more and more platform, more and more lights and money and, and, and fame and all these different things that society would say, that is when you, when you've made it once, when I've gotten to those points and then I go and I surround myself with people who have 10 times more money than I do and 10 times more platform than I do and 10 times more perceived happiness than I have, you start to get inklings of and glimpses of what your life could look like. And then when you're around those people and you realize that those people are actually awesome people and even though it might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, there's something about that life that you want. So I think the biggest lie that we have been told is, is that you can gain a level of success that will turn you into a person that nobody wants to be around. It's an inside job. I could have a hundred billion dollars in the bank and still be the most humble person that you know. I could have 15 private jets and 200 Lamborghinis and still be the most gracious, most kind, most humble, sweetest man that you know. Yet we've been taught as a society or our parents have taught us or our grandparents have taught us or the people that we surrounded ourselves with that having more can turn you into something that you don't want to become. So I have had to continue to try to gain success, continue to try to build the life that I have uh, wanted to for my family, what I set out to, to accomplish, which is financial security a platform to reach people, an impact to be made, and then making sure, and this is the key, making sure that everything is tied back to gratitude. Being grateful for the opportunities that I have, being grateful for the zeros in my bank account, being grateful for the health and prosperity of my wife and children, being grateful for the home that I live in, being grateful for the relationships that I have. Because once you start taking your eyes off of gratitude and not being grateful for these things that are gifts and realizing that these things are gifts, that's when ego and that's when pride and that's when narcissism starts to creep in. So as long as you keep everything tied back to gratitude, you're going to be completely fine. And take it from me, a small guy from a small town 
who was taught to do small things, who somehow ended up on world stages and somehow ended up with more financial security than I ever thought that I would have. And somehow ended up with the girl of my dreams, with the kids of my dreams, with the life of my dreams. As long as I've tied everything back to gratitude, you're going to be just fine. So operate in gratitude every single day. Find ways to be more grateful every single day. Be not just grateful, but also be generous with your time, your resources, your energy, um, and your impact that you can make in your community. And then and only then can you create a life of massive impact. So thank you for that question. And thank you guys for this time. Thank you guys for the opportunity for me to serve you guys with some of these questions. Uh, that is your walk on wisdom for the today. And as always, God bless. I'll see you at the top.